the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website, and your host for the See at the Game podcast. When does a loss feel like a win? I'll tell you. It's when 54,000 members of the Buff Nation witness a furious comeback against the number eight team in the nation. The Buffs did come up short against USC, falling 48 to 41, but did build some positive momentum as the gauntlet of CU's September schedule is finally behind us. I am joined for this podcast by Neil Langland, and we will present our review of the USC game using categories of excellent, satisfactory, and needs improvement to sift through yet another exciting game in the first year of the Coach Prime era. We will then turn our attention to the upcoming matchup in the desert against Arizona State. Our tips will take you through the categories of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics before giving you our predictions for the game against the Sun Devils. So, will Arizona State quarterback Trenton Borgay, who had over 400 yards passing and three touchdowns against the Buffs in Boulder last fall, be able to duplicate his numbers against Coach Prime's defense? Will the CU players be able to handle the afternoon heat of Tempe with a forecast high kickoff of 100 degrees? Will the Buffs find a way to play a solid first half and not have to rely on a second half comeback yet again? Will the Buffs be able to take the positives from the USC game and turn them into win number four of the season? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back, and I'm joined by downtown Neil Langland. How is Neil doing today? Hey, I'm doing fine. I've been on nurse duty all day, and I'm looking forward to talking some football, enjoying the nice first fall day here in Denver. And I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about USC and ASU. Yeah, well, we are once again, uh, Brad Geiger is AWOL. I think yelling at the refs from row 72 took his voice away. And... Uh, <laughs> It's really hard to get the ref's attention from row 72, but Brad certainly does his best. So enjoyed his uh, verbiage and the verbal assaults that were being laid upon the opposition and the uh, the folks that were wearing the striped shirts on Saturday afternoon. Well, I was down amongst the crowd in about the seventh row on the 14th row on the 10 yard line. And I saw the refs look up a couple of times near your seats. So that booming voice. 
Yeah. Well, you're down there on Celebrity Row getting autographs, so I'm not sure how much of the game you were paying attention to. <laughs> yeah, it's distracting. It's like everybody's looking at people, and due to my vintage, I have no idea who they are outside of the former NFL stars. So I'm, I'm confused. So yeah, I need that was part of my problem too. They show some on the big screen, and like I have no idea who that is, but apparently they're important. So, the previous game, we're going to talk about a little review. So, final score number eight, USC forty-eight, Colorado forty-one. There is a big discrepancy in terms of the lead there for a long period of time. The Buffs, Buffs made a furious comeback actually outgained USC in total yards. Let's just do a, a quick overview. What were your, your thoughts walking out of Folsom Field on Saturday afternoon after the 48-41 loss to number eight USC? Well, physically I was a noodle because of the ups and downs in the game and then the way the game built to a crescendo uh, for that onside kick. It was so nice to see the Buffs come back to see them play so well for their players in the skill positions, in the line, just about everywhere, having such a great second half. I, it was just wonderful to see that. If you weren't there, you missed one of the best atmospheres at Folsom Field that I have ever seen. It could be the best. It rivals 62-36. The energy in that crowd and the whiteout, it was just amazing. The noise that the fans were making during that third and fourth quarter rally, unbelievable. My ears are still ringing, and I loved every second of it. It was a great experience. I enjoyed it. And, you know, as the clock was ticking down toward the end and, you know, we were kind of taking our time on that, our last scoring drive, it was like obviously they're playing for an onside kick. And I thought they're probably not going to get it, but so what? It was so much fun watching them. I really enjoyed the game, and I'm repeating myself. Sorry. No, it was it was a very enjoyable game. It was a very enjoyable day. It got a little warm, but the the fans didn't leave. I turned Brad was, I think it was 34 to 14 at halftime, and I you know I said Brad, USC scores in the third quarter, make it 41 14. That's when you'll start to see people leave. And USC did score, did make it 41-14. And some people did trickle out. There was uh, the start. But most fans stuck around. I have to give, you know, we've get, given out shout-outs to the student section here for the last couple of years for sticking with the team and showing up and being loud and vocal despite the poor product that was being put out on the field. But the entire Buff Nation stayed and stuck it out with this team. and. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Neil. It was an enjoyable experience. If you can have a game where you've lost, you know, and a team that you really, really want to beat, have never beaten. There were people in our section, and I'm sure it wasn't just our section, but even as the kneel downs were taking place in the final minute, fans were clapping. You know, fans were applauding the team and the effort and recognizing the resiliency of this team and the talent on this team and how much better this team is than what we've had in years past. This could easily have been a 56 to 14 game and nobody would have been surprised after the 
42 to six game that we watched with the Oregon game. So yeah, hats off to the buffs, hats off to the team, hats off to the coaching staff, the players, and to the the buff nation. We certainly showed out. And as coach prime talked about after the game, if you don't see what's going on with the buff nation then you're just not looking. Fans were so supportive. Everyone was so happy. It just felt like there was a community of fans there and camaraderie among the fan base I haven't seen for a long, long time. It's really cool. It was a lot of fun in that way. Yeah, it's fun to be part of a sellout crowd and a crowd that really cares about its team. This is uh, one year, as we're recording this, one year to the day since Carl Durrell was fired. Quite a difference from 365 days ago. So we talk about these reviews in terms of what was excellent, what was satisfactory, and what needs improvement. Uh, what stood out to you as being in the excellent category for the, the USC game for your buffs? Once again, and I hate to be repetitive about this, is just the fight and the stick to that this team has. Being down that far and not having played that well in the first half. They came out in the second half. They got some stops on defense when the Buffs needed it. They did not give up. My thought is if there had been five more minutes on the clock, C would have won the game because USC was starting to wilt. USC was on its heels. Um, they hadn't scored in a while. And C was just, I think, beating them up front. Our receivers were a step faster than their DBs. Our DBs were a step faster than their receivers. Everything was working for CU. It would have been an overtime game, and CU would have won an overtime. We just didn't quite have everything we needed right then to win the game. That was excellent. I thought the play of some of our young players, Omarion, for example, he was a half a step away from taking that one pass 60 right. yards. to the And I mean, it was just little things that happened, but I have to give the kids credit that we're not starting and not getting playing time. They came up big. Um, same thing I would say with our five-star cornerback. He initially looked a little bit lost in part of the game, but then he came back. Blocked a touchdown pass, prevented the touchdown, made some tackles. He looked like he was starting to come into himself as a college player. So excellent in terms of backup players that rose up and played beautifully. Okay. Well, I, I agree with you in the excellent category. Of course, you have to put Shadur in the excellent category pretty much every game. The numbers, I hope fans understand exactly how amazing this production is that Shadur Sanders is putting forth. He has 15 touchdown passes in his first five games. The season record, the single season record is 28 at the University of Colorado. And he's over halfway there through five games. He's already 22nd in passing yards in Colorado history in five games. So, I mean, I don't know how many years he's going to stick around. He might play one or might play two, but if he's around for both years, he's got a lot of records at the University of Colorado, and fans should just enjoy how wonderful he is. In the fourth quarter alone, in five games, in the fourth quarter, he's 38 for 48 
for 582 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. So, you know, when the, when it, the time comes, the light comes on, Junior Sanders is a star. He pl- outplayed Caleb Williams in the third and fourth quarters. Um, and you mentioned Omari and Miller, the Pac-12 freshman of the week, uh, becoming the second freshman to earn that honor at CU that Dylan Edwards was a freshman of the week for the Pac-12 in the TCU game. And, yeah, setting all sorts of records, most receiving yards by a Pac-12 freshman since 2011 in a game, most receptions for a Pac-12 player since 1996 in a first career game. Yeah, just all sorts of accolades. And, you know, a four-star recruit, but when we had Jimmy Horn coming in as a transfer, Xavier Weaver coming in as a transfer, Travis Hunter coming in as a transfer, we were thinking that some of these four-stars freshmen might not be contributing much this year, but Omarion Miller got his opportunity and is making the most of it. Moving on to just the satisfactory category, anything that was uh, good but not great from your buffs in the USC game? Well, you know, it's a bit surprising to say this because the defense gave up 48 points, but some of those were due to special teams errors, and other things beyond the control of the defense. But here's what they did, I think, and they, they're starting to do this now is to actually get sacks, to pressure the quarterback. And the interception that CU had, that was especially notable because Caleb is an extremely poised, very confident quarterback. And they had pressured him on that play. He threw that ball up for grabs off his back foot. That shows to me desperation. And we got inside his head a little bit. Yeah, and his first first interception of the year for Caleb Williams. Yeah. And, you know, that's something no one else had done. And all the passing attempts that he'd had, we're the first ones that really put him under some significant duress, even when we weren't sacking him all the time. So I thought that was good. I think the other thing is, that we give up yards, give up points, but the defense always seems to come through with turnovers and turnovers, you know, probably good for, you know, 40 yards of field position on average. And I'll give up yards if we can get turnovers. And this defense seems to have an act of doing that. So even, even though they need to improve in some areas, I think they improved against the run. And USC has a good line, excellent running backs. And I thought that overall, the defense played much better than I expected them to in this game. Yeah, certainly in the second half, giving up, you know, 14 points after giving up 34 in the first half. Uh, My satisfactory nod goes to the CU rushing attack. 223 total yards rushing in the first four games. 193 yards rushing and 45 carries against USC. So see you had almost as many rushing yards against USC as they had accomplished in the first four games of the season. So yes, it's not a dominating performance, but Anthony Hankerson had some good runs. Dylan Edwards certainly unleashing Shadur Sanders had the 25-yard touchdown run up the middle. He had 50 yards total, even with sacks counted in. So 
I think we're going to see more of that, that Shadur is going to have to take more of the rushing burden on and not be afraid. I liked the very first play of the game. It was a designed run, and it was a designed run for him to get out of bounds. So, you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't going to get hit. You know, re- out, did the fake, went for 12 yards, ran out of bounds, went back, did the next play. So um, the rushing attack still has work to be done. There's still offensive line issues. Um, Savion Washington, you know, I think it's an ankle injury. He was limping a bit, came out of the game. Uh, the backup did fairly well, but it's a pretty thin line in terms of experience and talent, so we can't afford any injuries. So the rushing attack, doing better. If we can average 193 yards a game the rest of the season, it'll go into the you know excellent category, but at least for a game, so you showed what they can do when they're going up against defense that uh, is not great at stopping the run, which USC was not a great defense, but you have to be able to exploit it. And so you finally did. The Bucs were able to get conversions on second or third down, uh, short yardage. They were able to power their way to get a first down. But what was starting to show up in the running game is our small, quick running backs were getting to the line of scrimmage through it without being touched and into the second and third level of the defense. And we had three or four of those that really showed the potential for that offense and those backs. If we can start breaking those guys free, we're going to start getting some big runs. So I think that could be a harbinger of good things to come. Right. And to your point, I mean, CU was 9 of 18 on third down conversions, which 50% is excellent. The Buffs were 8 for 8 on third or four, third and 4 or less. So where CU has had trouble with third and short in the past, they were perfect 8 for 8 on third and short against USC, which is pretty impressive against the number 8 team in the country. Whether or not they deserve to be the number 8 team in the country, they were coming in. Um, there's always going to be needs improvement, especially when there's a loss. So what did you file under the needs improvement category for the buffs after the loss to USC? Well, I, I just feel like I'm piling on, like I should get a flag 15 on what I'm about to say, but, um, everyone saw it. The special teams again failed in key areas. You know, the field goal would have been nice. I mean, it's 43 yards. And those aren't automatic, but uh, I was watching warm-ups and um, number 17 was pulling his kicks to the left during warm-ups, during the final phases of warm-ups, and he missed wide left. They've got to make those corrections. And, you know, Mata comes in, he's more accurate, but he has limited range and he doesn't get the ball high. But they've got to solve the kicking problem somehow, the place kicking. With regard to the punting, I'm not sure what happened on that block punt. I think, you know, he was trying to do the rugby-style punt and took right. three extra steps and ran right into the USC guy. It's he like, did, yeah. I think the special teams hurt CU to the effect maybe of giving a short field to USC for one of their touchdowns. I'm not going to say that that won or lost the game, had that changed, but that's significant. You can't have that. Um, yeah. Defense that gives up yards, you can't give a short field. And that stuff just has to stop. And it's been going on now for a while. Uh, I think we're entitled to a correction at this point. 
Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely correct. The special teams, again, yeah, you can't. There's lots of places to look at in a close loss, a high scoring loss, where this play or this series of plays or this series of downs could have gone differently. But yeah, if you give a team like USC and Caleb Williams two drives, one on uh, Shooter Sanders' interception, the other on the block punt, both times USC took the ball over inside the CU 25 yard line. It's hard enough to stop them from going 75 yards, much less to try and stop them from going 25 yards. Um, I also, again, piling on, but, you know, first half defense, you know, there's got to, we got to play better in the first half. We can't keep having to come back in games. You know, it's 35 to nothing at halftime in Oregon, 34 to 14 against USC. I mean, help, you know, C was behind CSU 21 to 14 at halftime. You just can't keep coming back and expecting to have it work. It worked against Colorado State, never had a chance against Oregon. It was too much too far um, to try and get it to come back against USC. So you can't, looking forward to the ASU game, you can't let the home team get any sort of momentum by giving them the opportunity to take over the the game early. I turned to Brad. We won the we won the coin toss. He said, "Take the ball, put your best unit on the field. Don't let the defense go out there and put it you in a zero seven hole before your offense even takes the field." You know, deferring to the second half is the traditional way of doing things. But if I was the CU coaching staff and we won the toss, I would take the ball every t- every single time. But yeah. You know, you just happened against Oregon. You just knew it was going to happen against USC. Might not happen against Arizona State, but why give them the opportunity? Put your offense on the field. Take advantage of your best players. Take, you know, potentially take the lead before their team even gets a chance with the ball. But, you know, when you got the team that's 127th in the nation in scoring defense, he was giving up over 36 points a game. You know, it's not the 45 points a game that the 2022 team was giving up, but still, you're in kind of uh, lousy territory if you're giving up that many points a game, and especially if you're giving up a lot of that in the first half. So um, the USC game, 0-17 all-time. Next time we see USC, it'll either be in a bowl game or in the college football playoff. So hopefully we'll get another crack at USC in our lifetimes and the bus will be able to follow through and and pull out the victory. But time marches on. The calendar flips to October. We got through the gauntlet, which was September with a three and two record. Now the season of expectation really kicks in. Colorado's taking on Arizona State Saturday afternoon, 4.30 Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Networks. And for our preview, for those that are joining us for the first time, for thank you, welcome. We divide the preview into four categories. The tips for the game, which is talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics. So first, let's talk a little bit about the talent of the Arizona State 1-4 in four Sun Devils. Neil, what did you find out when you turned your attention from USC and started focusing in on what Arizona State has to offer? 
something I typically do, Stuart, is to see if I can go to the opposing team's website, get a roster, uh, a depth chart possibly. And what I found there was that ASU, their offensive line is a little bit bigger than ours across the board so that they may be able to execute some sort of power running game. Their quarterback, um, okay, nothing special. Uh, their wide receivers, they have some speed. But other than that, it just seemed like CU, as I was going down and doing comparison there, uh, depth chart to ours, that we probably have advantages in key areas like wide receivers, defensive backs, even running backs, if we're gonna, if we can continue getting those guys squirting through. So I think we have a slight talent gap there overall and big talent gaps at places like QB, running back and corners. So even with some people missing from the lineup from the secondary, I think we still have a good advantage there. So I'm gonna take CU's talent over ASU's um, pretty much across the board. Okay, well, the quarterback, I mean, this Arizona State's been kind of with first year coach, uh, Kenny Dillingham, kind of facing the scenario that Buff fans were afraid of if Shadur Sanders got hurt. They started the season with Jaden Rashada, and if that name sounds familiar, this is the recruit, the high, the talented high school recruit that was a Miami commitment, then flipped to Florida late, then got out of his Florida commitment because his $13 million NIL deal didn't work out and transferred then or signed on with Arizona State. So Rashada was supposed to be the answer to the problems that Arizona State might be facing quarterback, but Rashada got hurt. Drew Pine, who is a quarterback for Notre Dame, has played, but he's also been injured. Um, they went down in the third game to Jacob Conover. It was like a walk-on, but uh, the the quarterback that we're dealing with now is Borgay, and I did go to the website to make sure that I knew how to pronounce his name right. And he was a quarterback last week. He had a pretty good game uh, against Cal through for 344 yards. And yeah, he is a, a decent quarterback, but not something that uh, we're going to say is going to fit in the top half of the Pac-12, not a Pac-12 that's loaded with Heisman Trophy candidates at quarterback. So Borgay is not particularly anything to be afraid of the the guy that you the name you don't want to hear if you're watching the game on television is Cameron Skadaboo this guy is not only leading the team in rushing he is also the second leading receiver and he's also three for four in passing so they tried two halfback passes against the USC a couple of weekends ago one of them was unsuccessful, and it would have been a touchdown if it wouldn't been, hadn't been overthrown. So he's three for four for some 60 yards in passing the ball, and he is kind of their all-everything guy. So the more you hear the name Cameron Skadaboo, uh, the worse it is for the Buffs. The only receiver 
I think you have to worry about is Elijah Badger. He's got 21 catches for 288 yards and a couple of touchdowns. But as you were mentioning, Neil, there's not a whole lot to be afraid of really compared to some of the wide receiver cores that CU's been facing. They're nothing compared to Oregon, nothing compared to USC. So there is talent there to be sure, not something that you can just ignore, but uh, they've been banged up along the offensive line. They've had some injuries there. Nobody's going to throw a pity party for them because CU knows exactly what that's like. But yeah, I agree with you in terms of the talent. CU has an advantage. The defense for ASU is okay, mediocre, not great. And certainly something you think uh, the Buffs could expose if uh, the skill position players, you know, get their act together. They're allowing about the same, you know, number of yards per game, but their teams they played, Southern Utah, Oklahoma State, Fresno State, common opponent in USC, and then Cal, not a lot of explosive offenses there that they've had to face. So you got to think that the Buffs' ability to put up some points is is going to be there. So uh, there's a reason, I guess, you start as a six-pointed favorite on the road, apparently down to 4.5, but I think based on talent, you'd have to give a, a nod to the Buffs in this one. I think you're right. So I, I, I think, too, that what CU has been able to do talent-wise is when frontline guys go down, the backups perform as good or even better perhaps than some of the, the starters have done. So, uh, you know, the depth that we were worrying about in certain areas seems to be improving. And that's a big thing in terms of talent because we were worried about a big drop-off that our frontline guys were great, but I don't think we need to worry so much about that in certain positions like receiver and secondary. I, I think that's a big upgrade in talent. Yeah, probably, yeah, the backups for this year's team would probably be more than starters for last year's team. So, yeah, definitely making headway and, and getting them playing time and young guys getting playing time that, you know, not all these are going to, you know, turn pro or enter the transfer portal come December. So it bodes well for the future of the program. Moving on to the I, the intangibles of the game, is there anything – uh, outside the field of play or outside the rosters that you think might have an influence on this game? A couple things. I think one on the positive side, let's start with that, is as I was trying to describe the atmosphere in the game and the grit of the team, seems to me that they're on an upswing here as they're beginning to realize how good they can be. And they realize, I think, that if they can just get off to a better start, they can play with just about anyone. And hopefully that will translate to a faster start, a more complete game, at least on offense. On the negative side, the game's at 3.30 local time in Tempe, and it's going to be hot. You know, we saw USC kind of wilt last Saturday, and it's potentially a negative. I've seen CU teams go down. Uh, to the Arizona schools and play during the day or even late at night and wilt. This team seems to be well-conditioned and accustomed to playing in heat. So it's a potential problem, but I think CU is going to be able to solve it. 
the other thing that's, that I like about this is the team seems to be coming together as a unit. You know, we were worried about how all of these new guys coming, especially so many after the spring game, that it was going to be tough to knit them together. It looks like the coaching staff has done well. And the way the team is improving, that just seems to be adding momentum. So I think to try to compress this into one word, momentum is a positive for CU. Okay. Um, yeah, to your point on the temperature, I don't know if it's a Pac-12 rule, an NCAA rule, or just common sense that Arizona and Arizona State don't play day games in September. And now that the calendar is just barely into October, apparently they're allowed to play a 3.30 local kickoff. And as we speak, the forecast is for it to be about 100 degrees on Saturday. And of course, at 3.30 in the afternoon, you're getting the, the worst of it. That's going to be the, the worst of the temperature. And the sun doesn't set in Tempe, in case you're wondering, until about 6 o'clock. Not that it's going to cool down a whole lot, but at least you won't have the sun on you once you get into the second half, apparently. But, uh, yeah, the uh, TCU game at kickoff was only 86 degrees. Yes, I did look it up. But, again, that was 10, 11 o'clock local time. It just got hotter over the course of the day, um, the TCU game. And, yeah, the folks in Tempe, I hats off to their fans. I don't know if I could be a season ticket holder because even in the September night games, they played their first four games at home. And the Southern Utah game, it was 102 at kickoff. Oklahoma State, it was 104 at kickoff. Fresno State, 95. And then against USC, it cooled down. It was only 88 degrees at kickoff. So, yeah, if there's an advantage there, the Sun Devils have it because they played almost every game in ridiculous heat. And they had a pretty much a sellout for the USC game. So hats off to the Sun Devil fans for putting up with that type of heat. But I guess that's what they live with day to day. So they're used to it. But I don't know if it's going to have an effect on our buffs. Also, I had under intangibles. Uh, it's been about a month now. But looking back to the week before the first game, that's when Arizona State announced that it was self-imposing a bowl ban and restricting it, taking off a couple of scholarships, trying to get ahead of the NCAA investigation of the Herm Edwards era. Now, probably Arizona State was not slotted to go to a bowl game this year anyway. But if you've got seniors, graduate transfers, and things like that, you just, you know, took the rug right out from underneath them that they really lost everything that, you know, they might have had a chance to play for. Nobody thought they were going to compete for the big, you know, the Pac-12 championship. So a bowl game would have been the reward for, you know, putting up with the kickoffs at 100 degrees. But they only have that to play for. And now they're one and four. Not not too much left for them to, to play for. So maybe that'll work to see you as advantage. The only other intangible I had, kind of a, a negative in the sense, Arizona State, after barely getting by Southern Utah in the opener, they've lost four straight games. Go to one and four. They lost eight straight games against FBS competition dating back to last year. Their last win over an FBS team. Any guess as to who that was? Yeah. Dear old CU in the middle of its one and 11 season. Uh, 42-34 last October in Boulder. The quarterback for that game 
was Trenton Borgay, the quarterback that uh, is going to be probably taking the field against the Buffs, and he had his best game as an Arizona State Sun Devil. He went 32 for 43 for 435 yards and three touchdowns against the Buffs. Now, intangible-wise, whether or not playing the Buffs, you know, the team that they last beat, the last FBS team they beat, and Trent Borgay certainly has uh, favorable memories of seeing the, the black and gold helmets. So I don't know if it's going to have that much of an impact, but certainly the Borgay should have some confidence going against the CU defense. You know, given the heat and the uniform combinations that we have, I think they are going to go with straw hats, board shorts, <laughs> and seals. Um, <laughs> you know, just to, to try to beat that heat. It's a dry heat, right? So it's not going to be a big deal. Right, yeah. As long as you're not the one that has to dress up and play in it. Yeah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to sit in the stands um, if it's 104 degrees at kickoff. I I just can't imagine. I have hard enough time when it gets to, you know, the low 80s like it was for the USC game. But uh, anything under preparation or schedule that stood out to you about this game? Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, and we've done it pretty much for the last four games, is that CU needs to continue to improve its game management. We had some disconnects between receivers and quarterback, maybe a couple of busts in the secondary and pass protection that looked a little confused at times. I think they need to work on those specific things. But what I'm going to recommend is that CU, rather than doing its usual warm-up, that they start a half hour earlier, warm up, play about a 20-minute intra squad scrimmage and get all the kinks out and the cobwebs off and the dust off so that when they hit the field for the game, it'll be more like mid game to them and they'll start playing well from the start. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't mean to be flip here, but I guess I'm trying to say, geez, guys, come on. First half. What's up? Yes. Well, you know, 10 a.m. starts, 8 p.m. starts, maybe a 4.30 Mountain time start will be the the sweet middle, you know, that will uh, allow them to be prepared and play from the open, opening kickoff. The only thing I was, you know, had with regards to preparation schedule, first of all, of course, was the temperature. But also, you know, if you're a, an Arizona State fan, okay, you have to look at the world. You know, we're used to being one and four. We've been down that road. You're looking for wins anywhere you can find them. And certainly they probably thought, that Cal was gettable a month ago. Certainly Fresno State, which actually is now like a borderline top 25 team. Oklahoma State struggling this year. Maybe that was a game they could have pulled out. It was a game at home. Uh, again, it kicked off with 104 degree temperatures. Not that Oklahoma players are not used to playing in the heat, but certainly if you were an Arizona State fan with Kenny Dillingham coming in and the brand new coaching staff, and they had a great overhaul over 60 players. They didn't get as much publicity as CU did, but there's a big overhaul of their team. So if you're thinking about having a winning record and building for the future, you would have thought that the first part of the season, unlike Colorado, where we had the gauntlet to get through September, September was supposed to be the 
easiest part of their schedule, playing the first four games at home, then going on the road to play Cal, then getting Colorado. So you figure that you've got at least three or four wins in that six-game stretch because here's their second half at Washington, number seven team in the country, then home against number 13, Washington State, at number 18, Utah, at UCLA, at home against number eight, Oregon, and then the rivalry game against Arizona, the Territorial Cup, to finish the season. So in the back half of the schedule, not seeing a whole lot of Ws there, you know, for a team that's kind of uh, been struggling. So one, two, three, four ranked teams, plus a road trip to the Rose Bowl and plus a Territorial Cup are the two non-ranked teams that they're going to play. So, And UCLA might be ranked by the time they get to them. So it might be five games against ranked teams in the final six. So, you know, if you're an Arizona State fan, you would have been penciling in the Colorado game as a as a victory a month ago. Perhaps not so much now. You know, it's win or else kind of thing. So I don't know. We'll see what it, what it means to them. Sorry, Stu, a question and a comment. Um, there seems to be forces for Arizona State working in opposite directions. One is the one that you sketched about them being discouraged about the bowl and their poor start. The other is the desperation to get a win before they go into the meat grinder portion of the schedule. I'm not sure which one of those is stronger for those guys, but I think we could see ASU coming out and being highly motivated, you know, for the first part of the game, the first half. So in terms of preparation, CU needs to come out with some new stuff and try to hit the ground running and get on top and get a lead and see if the Sun Devils will fold under yeah. that emotional. And towards that, to that point, you know, against USC, they had a fake punt, which was successful. They tried an onside kick. And I mentioned they had two halfback passes. So Kenny Dillingham's already playing that he has nothing to lose. And certainly why they're not going to play it close to the vest. Um, actually, that leads into, I'll start with one of the statistics, the S of our tips, that the Sun Devils are fifth in the country in fourth down conversion attempts. They've already tried going for it on fourth down 16 times this year. And they haven't been particularly successful. They're only converting 48, 43.8%, so that would probably be 7 out of 16. But that just goes to the point of they're, they're going to try everything. They're going to go for it on fourth down. If they have a fourth and three at the 38-yard line, they're not going to try a 56-yard field goal. You know, They're going to go for it, and so you need to be prepared for that. Before I get into the other fun numbers, any statistics, any stats that you think will be decisive come Saturday evening when we're looking back at the, the game book and the final stats for this game? Well, this week, Stu, I sort of focused on offensive stats because my sense is, based on some of the offensive stats here, that CU's defense will probably be able to hold ASU down into the mid to low 20s in terms of offensive scoring. For example, in total offense, ASU is 109th at 332 per game. In passing offense, they're 59 at 243. They're 
team passing efficiency is at 116 and their scoring offense is 124 at 17.6. So if there is a time when CU's defense can come and really have a shutdown kind of game, this is it. And so I'm with those stats, I think our defense is probably going to play a significant role, um, more of a complete role in winning this game. Yeah. Well, the stat I think that I would want to point out as being not something that we really can control, but it certainly has played a role in how these two teams have fared in the first month of the season. CU is 1.4, a plus 1.4 per game in turnover margin so far this season. Arizona State is a minus three turnovers per game. They've there's no interceptions and they've gotten one fumble. So their defense has produced exactly one turnover so far this season. So if that trend continues, if CU's on the positive side of the turnover margin, Arizona State continues to be on the negative side of the turnover margin with the numbers you were just talking about, about their lack of ability to produce points on their own, as long as CU is not gifting them points, if we're not setting them up with a block punt or an interception at the 25-yard line, yeah, the CU defense should be able to find a way to hold this offense from being super productive. And the CU offense, again, you know, this is a brave new world that we're in. Uh, I saw one stat that really stood out to me that CU has 22 touchdowns in the first five games of this season. CU had 21 touchdowns total in 2022. So we already have more touchdowns scored by the CU offense and the CU offense generated in 12 games in 2022. The yards 564 against USC was the most since 2018 in the opener against CSU and most in a conference game since the Washington State game in 2016. So we're watching production out of this offense that we just haven't seen in a while. It's fun to watch for a team that scored an average of 15 points a game last year. We know exactly what Arizona State fans feel like. So I don't know if if there aren't turnovers. And the only thing that kind of sways on their side is discipline in the sense that CU is committing over like 8.8 penalties a game. ASU is one of the best teams in the country, only 3.8 penalties per game. So if CU can not have turnovers, not make ASU think that they've turned things around and it now can generate turnovers, and CU doesn't commit a bunch of dumb penalties, that's going to be hard, I think, for, uh, for Arizona State to pull this one out. Stu, I've got a couple more stats, I think, since you mentioned the offenses. If, if I could just recite those real quickly and see if we can derive a uh, an inference there. CU total offense, number 35 at 440. And the point I want to raise here is that happens mainly in second halves of games. So right. it's a very productive offense and an explosive offense. If they could play in a, a complete game, they'd be in the top 15 or 20 of offense, passing offense. Here's where it gets good. Number five in the nation at 356 yards. And again, in kind of a shortened game because the offense really doesn't click uh, for a full 60. Passing efficiency, we're number 20. 
And again, that's with some slow starts and incompletions and so on. And scoring offense were 40 at 30 for 34 per game. So the point I was trying to make, if CU could start and use this kind of productivity that it shows in the second half, show that through the first half and get on top of Arizona State, and the defense holds, given CU, uh, ASU's rather lame offense, this should be a good game for both sides of the ball. But, you know, I guess what it leads to, and I'm not trying to get ahead to predictions, is... Oh, like no, I think we're, we're going to slide right into predictions. Go, go for it. Okay, we can't have our special teams, like you said, giving away points or giving away field position and putting our defense in a bad way. So... I'm assuming they're going to correct some of that. So I'm going to say that CU scores, let's see, 48 points, and that ASU is going to be down around 23. Okay, so a blowout victory for Colorado in the desert is what you're, what you're telling us. Recency bias, I guess. I'm, I'm falling, falling uh, prey to that. But I just I want to go with my momentum theme and see if we can uh, squeeze a, a nice, easy victory out of this one. That would be nice. I mean, Buff fans are certainly and been anticipating for the last three weeks. We've been saying, let's just get past Oregon, get past USC, get to the rest of the schedule with most of the team healthy, and then we can start winning some games. And certainly on paper, this is as lopsided as it's been in CU's favor, you know, obviously since the CSU game. We had some of the same issues going into the CSU game that we were talent-wise much better. And statistically, it didn't make any sense for CSU to be able to do anything against our defense, but somehow they managed to do that. I think that you're going to see a lot of trick plays. You're going to see a lot of weird things that they're going to try, that they're going to see this as a chance not only for their first-year head coach to be our first-year head coach, but to make a name for themselves, even though it's on the Pac-12 networks and nobody's going to be able to watch the game. Their rushing offense is ranked even lower than CU's rushing offense, which is saying something. So there's not a lot to be afraid of, and the quarterback can throw the ball, but he's got a limited number of receivers to throw it to. And as you mentioned, they're not scoring even 20 points a game. And CU's offense, when it clicks, can be very fun to watch. I'm not going to be quite as optimistic as you are. I'm still putting it double digits, but I'm putting it Colorado 31, Arizona State 21. So cover whatever the spread might be, whether it's six points or four and a half points. Um, right about the over of about 60 points. So I see CU winning it, but... Buff fans will be a little more uncomfortable than I think we're hoping that they will be. But maybe it'll be a blowout, and maybe the Arizona State players will not want to play, and the Buff players will say this is fun to be on top of a score instead of being behind 21 points. It's more fun to be ahead by 21 points and just keep the momentum going. So uh, I guess we'll have to leave it at that. but. Hopefully Colorado will pick up win number four 
and we'll get that much closer to bowl eligibility heading into the game against Stanford on October, Friday the 13th. So thank you, Neil. And we will talk again next week, and hopefully we'll get Brad Geiger to, uh, to rejoin us for the podcast. Yeah, we miss you, Brad. Come on, hurry back. Thanks, dude. This was fun. I hope, uh, I hope everyone enjoys this. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I'll be back next week with Neil and hopefully Brad, and we'll give you our review preview, starting with the Arizona State game, and then previewing the Buffs' upcoming Friday the 13th matchup against Stanford. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.